Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking with Catherine Brown from the Lord Mayors Foundation in Melbourne, Australia. And this funds many charities and social enterprises over there. So it's really fascinating to hear her perspective as a funder. Here's a little slice of the conversation with her where we were talking about some of the unique challenges faced by social enterprises. When I look at particularly, say, social enterprise and the boards that don't really perhaps understand what they've got themselves into or that they need to take a five, ten-year view to see that the before the social enterprise will be sort of sustainable. Mm. I mean, if they're not prepared to go that far, um, you know, it can become very difficult. And so we, we, we had one project where there were, the board changed and the CEO changed and then the new board didn't want to have the commitment for the longer term. Mm. And so we had to renegotiate um, that funding. So that, that that was a good example of... Mm. you know, if you're taking on something ambitious, you've got to have everybody on board. In the next episode, we're going to be speaking with Ben Atkinson, who founded the social enterprise Fill Their Lunchbox here in Christchurch. And we go pretty deep as he shares with us some of the key points on the road that he's been traveling. If you don't want to miss out on that and upcoming episodes, then hit subscribe. Now let's dive into the interview with Catherine. Well, I'm here with Catherine Brown, the CEO of the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation, mm-hmm. um, and you've flown in from Melbourne to attend the World Forum. Yes. Um, thanks for speaking with me, Stephen. I'm here for the Social Enterprise World Forum, which I'm really looking forward to. Another of my team are also coming over, and also we've supported six leaders from social enterprises that we've funded through the foundation to attend the conference. So they're very excited as well. Yeah, I can imagine. That's great. And we, we're sitting here in a hotel. We've got a beautiful view. We were just commenting. It's an amazing view of the central cathedral square. And, mm. and you can see the, the impact that the earthquake had here. Yeah, it's quite devastating when you look down there and see the ivy growing on the doorway. But yeah. very exciting to think it's going to be restored. Yeah. Mm. So what we do on this show is talk a lot about purpose mm-hmm. and about impact, um, but really trying to get behind, uh, I guess, into the real stories of people mm-hmm. and, and maybe where they're from, um, what's led them to do what they do now. So I'm really interested in what the foundation does and its involvement there in Melbourne and supporting social enterprises. And it's amazing that you've brought some of the different teams over. Um, but if we could just talk about you personally, just thinking about your own life and what's led you to where you are now, um, if you could back up maybe right to the beginning, where are you from? Um, well, I've been spent a lot of my life in Melbourne, most of my life, but I was actually born in Canada in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories. Okay. And my father was a young GP then, and um, my mother was a, a physio, and uh, they met at a hospital in Toronto. Uh, my mother's Australian, but my father's from Kenya, so they were spending... My grandmother was from Canada, so they were met by sort of um, chance through some friends and through work, um, in Toronto, so that was sort Quite of where that all began. International <laughs> heritage. <laughs> yeah, and um, it does give you a different perspective when you have a father who's 
not from um, where you grow up. Mm. Um, so we had a lot of, obviously, a lot of relatives overseas, um, none from Dad's family in Australia originally, although a few others also moved to Australia. And uh, he was very interested in um, sort of educating the next generation of anaesthetists, which is what he eventually specialised in, anaesthetics. And um, he did a lot of work with uh, training young anaesthetists from developing countries and exchanges with other developed countries. So mm. that, that sort of became his big passion, always a very international perspective on things. Mm. So that, so that uh, perspective of having an overseas view must have been with you right from being a child and yes and we had a lot of um overseas visitors and and um you know we we would often help mum sort of entertain guests from all sorts of countries so yeah it was very interesting and then um we also had grand you know grandparents in kenya so and a lot of cousins and things in canada and scotland and so yeah there was a sort of constant i used to write to my grandmother um in Kenya every month at least and she would write to me so I have a whole collection of lovely air letters as they were in those days. Right. No, so but it has um, in terms of my own work it has made me very um, aware of sort of more of the global mm. <clears throat> connections in philanthropy and in the not-for-profit sector but particularly in philanthropy the last um, you know 18 or so years mm -hmm. and I, I've been really interested in community foundations and I attended the Global Community Foundations Forum in Berlin in well, 2003 or something like that, and that was inspirational because mm. you could see people from all around the world, um, not only Africa, obviously, but Eastern Europe and even South America and all over Europe and, of course, US, Canada and the UK, all using the community foundation model to make you know a lot of difference in their community and also that it's a different model from private philanthropy. It's this community philanthropy is where everybody puts their funds together and grows a fund. So it's really philanthropy for everybody. And um, I, I like the line that everyone can be a philanthropist. Right. It's not just for the Bill Gates or the Andrew Forrests or actually everybody can give in their own um, way and to their own level. Mm. So that, uh, I guess, the thumbprint of your father's involvement is something that's, that's carried on in the decades since. Mm, it has really, mm. yeah. So your, your childhood's there, was that in Melbourne? Or? Yes. Yeah. Well, after, we were in Canada for five, nearly five years and then came back to Melbourne. Mm. Mm. Okay. And um, what happened next in terms of your, did you um, go to school there in <laughs> Melbourne? And mm. I went to school in Melbourne. Um, I went to primary school to Q Primary for a while and the classes became huge. There was kind of a bit of a baby boom. <laughs> and I had 50 children in my class. Um, so mum moved us to another school. So, yeah, and then I stayed there till the end, mm. end of school, which I enjoyed. Mm. Um, and in those high school years or school years, did you know what you wanted to study or was that a process of...? No, no, I... I I was one moment an architect, the next moment an archaeologist. Mm. I, I actually put down to do medicine and got into medicine, but at the last minute changed my mind. Mm. I, I had uh, medicine at one university and arts law at, at Melbourne, and I, I was sort of vacillating mm. for a few days. Mm. But uh, my love of um, languages really and words kind of overtook my, my interest in science. So <laughs> <laughs> had that yeah. interest in science, was that partly because of your father and his work, uh, do you think? Or? Well, it's interesting because um, 
even though I took the law path, I, I've actually um, been very interested in health and in and in environmental issues my whole sort of adult life, really. And luckily, at one point, well, first of all, I, I left. I did law and I did articles, and <clears throat> I went to London. I worked in a com- big firm, commercial litigation, for for a, a year, and then I came back and worked in another big firm, which, which I really enjoyed. But I didn't feel that my um, sort of my heart was there, and I saw an, a job as an in-house lawyer with the Multiple Sclerosis Society. Mm. So, um, so I went there, and so I had a pretty early change in a way, <laughs> um, and that was a, that was great. And then through that, and then I worked. Um, and that that choice to move out of the commercial law firm, or the, mm. I guess in some ways a safer choice career-wise, or Mm. some people might say, to move into more of an in-house role, um, working more in the charitable area. Was that some... How did you come about making that decision? Um, Really pretty much um, just feeling that though the work was really interesting sort of from an intellectual point of view, that in my sort of... My soul probably (laughs) wasn't... Mm. I wasn't quite happy... And so it was really an intuitive decision, mm-hmm. I think, in the end. And, I mean, look, financially it's, it was a stupid decision in the sense that, you know, you could be a partner and mm-hmm. earn more. But on the other hand, I've had a, a very interesting career and I've done a lot of things and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, very comfortable in life. So yeah. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about priorities, isn't it? <laughs> and then, uh, so was that, like, do you remember a moment when you thought, right, this is what I'm going to do, or was it a gradual, over a couple of years? I, I do remember sitting on the beach. My, my, um, we have a beach house, and and from my parents' um, mm. beach, you can actually look back and on a clear day see the city, and you'd actually see the very tall building where I was working. And mm. I just thought I felt it sort of a bit oppressed, and I thought I just can't get away from, mm. from this, and I thought this is not. It's not sort of what I want to do. And I just happened to open the paper and read this job ad and I thought, that's a good job for me. Wow. So, it was so they obviously <laughs> thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So you started working there and so that was a, a law job, was it? Yes. Yep. And it's, strangely, I went there thinking I'd be doing a whole lot of uh, stuff about duty of care and you know, looking after um, all mm. the, the clients and we, we had a nursing home and we moved into the community and attendant care and there was a lot of transition then out of institutions but also we had three social enterprises right. so I got there thinking that I was going into one sort of human rights law job and in fact half of the well not half but uh, quite a bit was actually working with the three businesses on commercial things mm. and contracts so in a way the the other work I'd done was quite useful. And right. in fact, that that still stays now. So I, I'm, I think what it's done is, um, you know, you're not, you're not scared to explore new ways of working mm. because you've got that sort of more commercial legal background. Mm. You can sort of see how things could be structured. And um, even with impact investment, I'm, I'm sort of, I've been quite, you know, interested in moving that forward as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. It, I, I always find it amazing how people's stories, often uh, what they did before isn't wasted. You no, know? I, that, I that, often think that. Yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> encouraging. Nothing is wasted. Nothing, no, no, you're learning all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were involved there for uh, quite a long time? or I was at MS for five years. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I was also given government relations and then I was also sent off uh, to do business administration. So my my boss said, time for you to go and learn about management and then they gave me the administration department. So so they sort of quickly could see that I could... Good to keep doing law, but they could add a few other right. strings to my role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. So you were learning quite a bit, it sounds like. I was learning like. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what came next? Well, then I, I was actually um, <clears throat> headhunted to go to Wesley Mission as an in-house lawyer again. Um, but this time I had the fundraising um, PR and property department. So wow. that was interesting because <laughs> we had 70... Um, 71 properties, which, you know, very extensive human service organisation with youth services and aged care and out-of-home care and a real, some really, um, we had the Huntington's disease um, sort of nursing home and some pretty tough hostels for home, you know, people who are, older people who are homeless and so on. So that was very useful to my work now because everything I see there, I saw there, and all the staff training I did and visiting the sites for property reasons and um, are relevant to things we fund now. Mm. So, again, you know, I, very useful and um, rarely do I see something I've never seen at all before. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that role took you to the sites and you were yes. visiting, actually Everywhere. checking up. Yeah. And yeah. training. I did. We had 2,000 volunteers. So wow. I was doing endless training on duty of care and, right. um, you know, that sort of human right, disability discrimination, all that sort of thing. Mm. Mm. And what, what were some of the highlights for you at, at that time? What did you enjoy? I think, I mean, the most confront. I mean, I'll start with the worst. The most mm. confronting in both those two jobs was just realising, you know, the, the younger people, when when I say younger, I mean you know twenty five to forty five who were were living in nursing homes, and that really was shocking. The two days I went first to the MS one before we um, mm. sort of ch- changed that model, and then to the Arthur Preston Centre mm. for the Huntington's disease, incredibly confronting. I mean, mm. you know the level of disability and and being so young, it was very very tough. So. Mm. Yeah, that that um, the remains are sort of concern. I'm very, um, yeah, uh, sort of. I think that whole interest in sort of housing and and disability and that has still stayed with me. Mm. Mm. On the positive side, <laughs> um, yeah, I had um, you know we had a lot of on in both jobs we did some really good projects. So some redevelopments. We did accommodation units in the community for pe- younger people with MS and. That was a good project that I was sort of like the project connecting person with with the with the builders and the architects, mm. and then we did other projects as well at um, at Wesley with again people who are older and very financially disadvantaged and nice uh, re- renovations of older houses um, in a normal setting really. So that I mean I'm always very keen to sort of give everybody a. And sort of normal experience and opportunities. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it it sounds like the contrast from your previous roles in the commercial law firm or other mm. things. It like it's almost like night and day. In it terms is, of and um, I mean, going back further, my fa- my grandfather um, was a doctor. He he actually set up a hospital in a school in in Kenya, mm. um, and you know, I was very uncomfortable when I was younger 
the idea of a missionary doctor and I mm. don't like the idea of bringing, you know, conversion and that sort of thing. Mm. But um, the incredible positive things they did for the community mm. in terms of the school and the hospital, they're, they're still going. Right. And I met someone last year at a conference who actually wow. knew that and his, um, his uh, head brother had... Um, was teaching, I think, at the school and wow. they knew about the hospital. And quite incredible. So that was the Tumatumu Hospital. So, mm. yeah. So there's a legacy. There is a legacy. There's a legacy <laughs> within your family, it sounds there like. There is a bit, yeah. yeah. There's a, a strong social um, conscience, I think, yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Particularly on that health side. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. And then, um, so what happened next in terms of where you went? Or Okay. So um, then I had a bit of it. I actually was pregnant with my first son mm -hmm. and I asked my boss if I could go part-time and he said no it was full-time or nothing and still before the time when people would not have thought to do that. <laughs> so um, I thought well that's that, that's not going to be fantastic um, and that just through another friend they said, oh, well, they're looking for a CEO of the Brain Foundation and it could be done four days a week. Do you want to talk to them? Hmm. So that was a smaller charity that worked on stroke and acquired brain injury support services and carer support services, but also some medical research. So so I um, met their board and we all got on well. And um, so I was there for three years and that, that, was, that was a very... Um, I really enjoyed it, but hmm. it, was, it was pretty much of a sort of re-establishing the organisation and, and right. you know, getting the funding sorted. and That was my first exposure really to philanthropy because the Maya Foundation um, actually came through with some money for our um, counselling service when we'd lost some, the previous uh, team had lost some government funding and we were trying to negotiate again to get our government funding back. But um, the Maya Foundation really saved the situation through for that service. So... That was a very positive uh, thing. And mm. Helen Morris, who was there uh, working with the Sydney Maya Fund and the Maya Foundation, she um, she came she came through, and I still I'm still friendly with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so it sounds like you have been involved in a number of different organisations, many to do with health related mm. sector. Um, are there are there some principles or some things that you learned through those roles that that maybe applied no matter where you were going to? Um, hmm. Yeah, I might just add that after that, mm. I was headhunted to another role, which I didn't stay in for mm. maybe nearly a year I stayed. And then I went uh, into consulting Okay. Um, with the MS Society's business first, but then I started to get my own work through foundations. So mm. I through that time I saw foundations. I did more with Indigenous land management organisations and all sorts of not-for-profits. So I suppose I started to see mm -hmm. more and include an environmental organisation. So, so thinking about that question, well, I think um, having a clear mission and a clear strategy, and then I think the board and the senior team that can actually, the board that can um, support the strategy and, in, and add to the strategy, um, what, do, what does that look like, do you think? Like, what are the key elements that a good board would have? Well, maybe if I use an example. Mm -hmm. One of the... Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I can talk about just 
what I think a board, obviously, they need to do be involved in the strategic planning and they need to monitor the performance of the organisation and, and look at the risk, that they're sort of very important roles. But when I look at particularly, say, social enterprise and the boards that don't really perhaps understand what they've got themselves into or that they need to take a five, ten-year view to see that the before the social enterprise will be sort of sustainable. Mm. I mean, if they're not prepared to go that far, um, you know, it can become very difficult. And so we, we, we had one project where there were, the board changed and the CEO changed and then the new board didn't want to have the commitment for the longer term. Mm. And so we had to renegotiate um, that funding. So that, that that was a good example of... Mm. You know, if you're taking on something ambitious, you've got to have everybody on board. Mm. And mm. it's, I guess, what you're saying is it's that long-term planning. You know, it's not in a year or even no. in two years. It's in five years or ten years. This yeah. is what we're aiming for. You need, you need sort of the business plan for the next few years, but mm. you do need, you know, the five-year mm. and even longer and to be really clear what, what you're adding value to, not mm. just to duplicate everybody else, but, you know, and I think So having important. some unique um, skill sets around the table? Well, I mean, I think you need, obviously, some accounting and mm. law, mm. Um, and more and more now you need marketing and sort of digital sort of understanding. <laughs> yep. um, but I think you do need people who understand the sort of the sector you're working in and the, the content of that. And and then if you're in, in social enterprise, you do need some commercial nows as well. Mm. 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 Oh, that's good. I think it's just helpful to talk about these things sometimes because those, I know they're maybe they're basic, but it, just getting that right is mm. something that I've seen social enterprises not quite grasp, you know, that well, actually we've critical. got to take that long-term view and um, and having the short-term thinking everybody loses because, uh, you know, it, it, many of these endeavours do take time to develop and grow. Yeah, I think I've, I've been to other um, conferences with... I went to the Asian Venture Philanthropy Conference and I went to one session particularly on... I wasn't giving this one, I just went to hear it and it was very much about the sustainability side and, mm. and you know, that a lot of people were talking about you've got to give it sort of at least you know, five if not ten years and mm. foundations need to understand. They may not need to be there funding the whole time but you've got to be funding at the key moments when they need to scale up or they're testing things. It's, mm. yeah, it's, it's not a sort of quick fix. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. So that kind of brings us to the word foundation. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you mind telling us, because um, some people listening won't know what you're involved in or what you do, can you give us a sketch of that? The Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation was actually um, established in 1923 by the Lord Mayor of the day then, who was Sir John Swanson. So he was very far-sighted because the first community foundation in the whole world was uh, established in 1916 in the US. So, um, And it really was to raise funds from all parts of the Melbourne community to support the hospitals that were providing services to people who'd returned from World War I with a lot of injuries and disabilities and needing treatment. So, And it was a very successful fundraising campaign. And then in 1930, we were incorporated under an Act of Parliament. So very old foundation. Yeah, long history there. Long, yeah. long history. And um, grown a lot through bequests, some very big bequests in the last sort of five years. And um, really the, the key thing is that we, that we aim to 
work on the air on the big issues facing Melbourne. So mm. at the moment, homelessness mm-hmm. and then and the need to increase the supply of affordable housing, right? Youth unemployment, mm-hmm. um, and then sort of increasing sustainability. We've done a lot of work on food security and sustainable food system, mm. and and um, and also water and energy efficiency, so that, that, that side. Mm. So it's quite a broad remit, lots of different areas. I mean, all yeah, those topics... broad. All those topics, I think, could apply here in New Zealand as well. Right. So. <laughs> it's broad, but we're sort of quite focused in what we fund, you know. Yeah. So we, we have a focus on youth and older people, for okay. example. Mm. Um, so what would that mm. look like in terms of maybe an example of a project or or, or what, so, what would so be the process? For a social enterprise, so for here. So mm. youth works is... Um, uh, social enterprise we've funded a number of times and, and they employ uh, young people very financially and, and um, otherwise disadvantaged to ha- to learn the skills of film. So they're, okay. they're about producing films um, and they have, they learn um, the skills they need, whether it's sound or photography or, or um, even sort of directing a bit. And, and then through that, they actually run a business. So we've used them as a foundation to, to film events for us and right. things like that. Yeah. So not only do we fund them to, to actually <laughs> develop, but we actually use them as a provider. So, I mean, that would just be one example. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's good. There are many. Another so, one that's coming to the conference is Outer Urban Projects, and okay. that's in the outer north of Melbourne, and that's a lot of... Um, Refugee, young people, people with dis- young people with disabilities, and through music mainly and performance, um, and they've now got a great social enterprise, um, which gives not only can they train um, and give people experience in performance, but they they actually now provide like for corporate events and other events um, performances, and that's going very well too. Mm. Yeah. So, so the role of the foundation is really to support them in critical moments when they need some. Um, yeah, so financial our, our, our funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our funding is either capacity building, so building the capacity of organisations to do what they do well, mm-hmm. or innovation. So we have very separate buckets, and you know the innovation is for people to explore new ideas, um, to set up something new, to research. So yeah, we're, we're I think that's working well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's good, and yeah, how I guess how many projects are there? that you're involved in is it possible to have I a number counted, <laughs> yeah i just we're just doing the annual report right. so we funded i think 416 charitable organizations last year so wow. we fund um nearly 10 million dollars in grants so it's quite um quite but then there would be um sort of 20 big projects and then mm-hmm. many middle size and then a few you know smaller so there's you know a bit of a range yeah Mm. and if someone had an idea for social enterprise they would come and and talk with an advisor and yeah go through an application process and yeah and receive that and and occasionally we have um we have both a responsive grants round where it's advertised and people apply and then we have a little bit of proactive money so we can sort of um fund outside the other stream if we need to right Mm. yeah so what what is it that keeps you motivated in this um, environment, you know, it, it, that's an amazing number, four hundred something mm. that you're involved in. But um, I feel, well, I feel like we're kind of social investors, really. Uh, I I feel like more than just I don't like the traditional paternalistic kind of handing out grant type of mm. feeling. I always say to the team, we're just custodians, you know. 
Um, but really to see the organisations that are doing well or with some more investment can do even better mm-hmm. um, or to in support the people who are thinking in sort of future-focused way, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's what gets me excited. Mm-hmm. I mean, we funded something recently called Gather My Crew. That's using an online platform to set up a... Um, uh, how would I say it? It's, it's, it's when someone has had a trauma or a crisis and they need help from their family, friends, but they don't. people don't know what to ask for. So you can actually set it up and say, I need my dog walked, my kid picked up from school or whatever. And then friends can go online and say, I'll do all that. So rather than getting 10 lasagnas delivered to your front door, you actually get the help you need. And we partly did that because um, after the, um, the Burke Street sort of issue we had with the the sort of people being killed by that car Mm. Um, we thought you know what could we do that would be helpful and Mm. supportive for people in traumatic situations Mm. and taking technology and using it to its full potential sounds like yeah there's some very interesting projects now using technology Mm. Mm. that's good and just thinking uh, in terms of your life you know if if you could go back and talk to yourself (laughs) you've just graduated uh, from university, what would be some of the advice that you might give yourself if you could go back um, and mm, that everything you learn will help mm-hmm. in the end it'll all be useful right yeah um, and uh, and just really just sort of be true to who you are mm-hmm. in the work you do mm. Mm. yeah, and it sounds like that's what you've you've been able to find in in those roles. Mm. I mean, it's a fairly strange career, really, but <laughs> it's been interesting and, and certainly um, everything comes together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the more you know, the better, um, the better grant um, maker you are, that's for sure, and the better partner, mm. um, because in the end we really are partners with, for the bigger grants. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, Catherine, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and to learn a bit more about what the foundation does. Yeah, uh, well, thank you, Stephen. And it's very nice to find another lawyer who's uh, working in this area and, you know, making such a difference. And congratulations on your book. That's (laughs) very exciting. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly learned a lot about a funder's perspective when they come to look at social enterprises and charities and what it is they're looking for. And as you could tell, that interview was recorded at the Social Enterprise World Forum held here in Christchurch earlier in the year. So a special shout out to the Akina Foundation and all the people involved in putting on that amazing event. There were lots of connections that were made at that time and a lot of cross-pollination of ideas and thinking. For the New Zealand social enterprise movement, it will be looked back on as a significant event that had an impact with ripples that echoed for years to come. In the next episode, we're going to be speaking with Ben Atkinson, who founded a social enterprise here in Christchurch called Fill Their Lunchbox, and it's doing amazing work. Here's an excerpt from the interview with Ben. Um, well, my personal purpose is helping people help people. Mm. Um, at first, I thought it was uh, to live a fulfilled life by helping disadvantaged children. And then I realized that was so narrow and not actually what I'm about um, Helping people help people is just a way to say to people, if you're upset about something, there is a way that you can go about helping others mm. with fill their lunchbox. It's as easy as volunteering, buying a lunch, donating, um, helping share our stuff on Facebook, being involved and helping marketing by word of mouth. All these tiny little things actually really benefit us, which helps benefit the kids, mm. which helps benefit the guys in the rehab program. Mm. 
all these things. Yeah. Um, and then with the, the crews that we teach and coach, it's the same there. We're just giving them the skills to go out and help other people. Yeah. So it just kind of broadens the net of impact because yeah. uh, collectively we achieve so much more than rather than just working on your own. Hey, thanks for joining me today. And I hope there were some things that were helpful for you from the interview. One final thing is that a podcast that I've been enjoying listening to is called Twice. And if you search for that in the podcast app that you use, you'll find it easily. And it comes out every two weeks. It's a podcast that's recorded in Wellington, and it focuses on creative endeavor and features conversations with innovators, creatives, and social enterprisers. It features two hosts who interview two guests, and they always sample two different beers. And you can tell they're having a lot of fun creating it as well. So it's definitely worth checking out if you want to hear some interesting stories and some deeper conversations. Until next time.